So our Bible reading tonight is taken from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3. But before you take out your Bibles, we're going to suggest a little different um, thing tonight. We're going to have Emily read it from the message, and we've got some visuals to complement the reading, assuming that the technology works. So, my dear Christian friends, companions in following this call to the heights, take a good, hard look at Jesus. He's the centerpiece of everything we believe, faithful in everything God gave him to do. Moses was also faithful, but Jesus gets far more honor. A builder is more valuable than a building any day. Every house has a builder, but a builder behind them all is God. Moses did a good job in God's house but it was all servant work. Getting things ready for what was to come, Christ as son is in charge of the house. Now, if we can only keep a firm grip on this bold confidence, we are the house. That's why the Holy Spirit says, today, please listen. Don't turn a deaf ear as in the bitter uprising, that time of wilderness testing even though they watched me at work for 40 years. Your ancestors refused to let me do it my way. Over and over they tried my patience. And I was provoked, oh, so provoked. I said, they'll never keep their minds on God. They refused to walk down my road. Exasperated, I vowed, they'll never get where they're going never be able to sit down and rest. So watch your step, friends. Make sure there's no evil unbelief lying around that you will trip up and throw you off course, diverting you from the living God. For as long as it's still God's today, keep each other on your toes so sin doesn't slow down your reflexes. If we can only keep our grip on the sure things we started out with, we are in this with Christ for the long haul. These words keep ringing, keep ringing in our ears. Today, please listen. Don't turn a deaf ear as in the bitter uprising. For who were the people who turned a deaf ear? Weren't they the very ones Moses led out of Egypt? And who was God provoked with for 40 years? Wasn't it those who turned a deaf ear and ended up corpses in the wilderness? And when he swore that they'd never get where they were going, wasn't he talking to the ones who turned a deaf ear? They never got there because they never listened, never believed. Well, thank you, musicians and singers and I hope you're prepared for the further amazing technology that I'm going to bring before you. Uh, please turn uh, now to having had uh, Hebrews 3 read um, in a... Yes, I found that very interesting. Carl wasn't sure whether I'd let him do it, but I said anything which helps us and uh, sharpens the sense of God's presence in our midst is worth doing. And that was, so thank you. What's the, we're, this is now into our third uh, uh, sermon on Hebrews, and I thought I would start by just thinking again of what the overall picture is of the book. And having got the bird's eye view, then we go down to study the details, if you like, the worm's eye view. What's the bird's eye view? Okay. Um, I don't know about your car, but mine has one of these contraptions. It, it doesn't have a handbrake. It has one of these electronic gizmos, which in this case isn't a phone, Damien. Uh, and 
sometimes it works. It's supposed when you stop to hold you, but sometimes it doesn't work. And on occasions we have stopped at the lights and Ruth has said, uh, Billy, you're drifting. And I've been somewhere else. And uh, she said, uh, Billy, you're drifting. And I still haven't returned. And she says, Billy, you're drifting. Because I'm nearly into the front of the chap behind. And the theme, the overall theme of Hebrews is don't drift. Don't drift. And Carl's meditation before our opening prayer was a very moving meditation of someone who was aware that he had drifted and had lost his first love. As we come to study chapter 3, before that, let's pray. Lord, your word, inspired by your spirit, delivered by a human mouth, but faithful to the Spirit, is used by the Spirit to challenge, to redirect, to encourage, to rebuke, to do your work to meet what we need. May the Spirit do his work in all our hearts and lives. And like the chap with the things on his ears earlier in the graphics, Lord, may we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the the theme is don't drift. You you see that throughout uh, Hebrews uh, in chapter 2. We must pay more uh, careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift, verse 1. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Uh, In chapter 4 and verse 1, therefore, be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short. 4.14, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. 6.12, we do not want you to become lazy, and on and on. And the tendency to drift is a strong one, a very strong one today. We see it in our families, you know, Our children are brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They uh, go through the church organizations and all that. Sometimes they profess faith. And then what happens, contrary to parents' desires and prayers, they go off to college and they begin to drift. In our families, in society... The churches are losing members. The PCI is in decline, as are virtually all mainstream denominations. There are some exceptions. Some people buck the trend. But the overall trend is of drifting away in society. And maybe in our own lives, we see us drifting. Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? We used to sing. And where is it? Where is it? So this is a word for for me and for you, whatever our condition. And in this sermon, I don't have all the visuals, so I just stick to alliteration. Three points, 
they might slip into four. Uh, and uh, I, I, I for, sorry, B, I'll now say what you asked me to say earlier. At the end of the service, if we've been moved and want to bring concerns of ourselves or of others to the Lord, prayer ministry is available over in the corner down at the back on my left, your right. Three points, all beginning with F, so you can remember it. Our focus, faithfulness, fellowship, and then I'll slip in another one, firmness, all beginning with F. First, how do we respond according to the writer to this situation of drift? Well, in chapter 3 and verse 1, what does he say? Therefore, my brothers, fix your thoughts, better I think, fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is to be our focus. The, the, the word fix your eyes is the, the word, interestingly, that, that is used. Damien this morning preached on Exodus 3, and you, you get a, a reference to Exodus 3 in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen uh, uh, preaches to the, uh, the, the throng. And there in Acts 7 and verse 31, he talks about Moses going toward the burning bush to take a closer look. And the word taking a closer look, carefully examining, that's what he wanted to do. He didn't get that far because you remember the voice came out and told him to stop and he fell on his faith. You know the story. But the word for taking a closer look is the word for Fix your thoughts in the NIV. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. That's what we must do. And note how Jesus is described here in verse 1. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest. Now, this is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus is called an apostle. Now, the writer isn't saying Jesus is one of the twelve. Of course he wasn't. He led the twelve. But the other apostles aren't mentioned here. Jesus, the word apostle means the one who is sent. And here he's saying, fix your eyes on Jesus, the one whom God sent. And he's picking up here what he had said at the end of chapter 2 verse 17 and 18, where he's making the point that God sent Jesus to be a human being in the fullest sense, made just like you and me with one difference. We didn't sin. Perfect human being. And he came to be a high priest, the one who stands between God and man, representing God to men and women and representing men and women to God, the high priest. And so he says here, therefore, three and one, holy brothers, when you think of Jesus Frequently, what we do is go on to think of what used to be called his benefits, what we receive from Jesus, our privileges in the faith. And what are they? In a word, they are holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling. Heavenly calling? Well, th this isn't a special calling that missionaries or other people have to go or do special things. This is the calling which comes to everyone to follow Jesus. Now, it can mean the calling that comes from heaven, or it can mean the calling which we receive 
which will end up taking us to heaven, or we may not have to uh, decide which. It may mean both things together. But it, it's God's call to us to be holy brothers and sisters, to be separate to him. And in 2.17, we read, He, that is Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every way, yes, to be a merciful and faithful high priest. Now, Hebrews, the, the discussion on the person and work of Christ is very, very full and detailed and is sublime. The, the wealth that we will find as we go through this, this book really is amazing. It is sublime. And what the writer says is, fix your eyes on Jesus the Son of God, sent by the Father in love down to earth to live in the mess of human existence, pure and clean, giving himself and making atonement, being the sacrifice and the one who offered the sacrifice. This will all come later on, so I'm, I'm just mentioning it. Uh, for us, to redeem us and restore us to our heavenly Father. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what he says. The faithful high priest. And that brings us in this text to our second point. Our focus on Jesus and then on faithfulness. Verse 2, he, that is Jesus, was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Faithfulness is the theme of the rest of this chapter. Uh, from verses 2 to 6, we have the faithfulness of Jesus and Moses. And then from 7 to 19, we have the the NIV talks about the unbelief, warnings against unbelief. Well, that could be the lack of faithfulness, if you like, of the Israelites, and that applied to the contemporary readership to us. Just a, a, a word on faithfulness and belief. When I, uh, with my background in steam-powered television uh, 60 years ago. When I think of faithful, I think of a chap with a white hat, a horse, and a dark uh, eye patches. Who was he? Somebody's here my age. The Lone Ranger, and his Indian companion was his faithful Indian companion. Faithful means uh, reliable, uh, always at hand, ever ready to help, that kind of thing, right? Now, if we divide faith and fool, and instead of saying faithful, say somebody full of faith, that gives a, a different nuance. Someone full of faith, I would think, never think of Tonto. I would think of who? I would think of Hudson Taylor. I would think of George Fervor. I would think of pioneer missionaries who have so much faith in the Father that they take enormous risks to go where no one has gone before they have a vision, and their faith leads them to follow. Now, those two 
two concepts are closely related, but we can distinguish between them. And in the original, they both go back to the same uh, verb and noun and other roots. Okay. Now, here in 2 to 7, he, Jesus, uh, 2 to 6, uh, the writer's comparing the faithfulness of Moses and the faithfulness of Jesus. And what he says is, Jesus has been found, verse 3, worthy of greater honor than Moses. Moses was faithful in all God's house, but Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him. And Jesus, if you look at these verses, was the builder. And the builder has greater standing, authority, and glory, which is the word he uses, uh, than the servant. And Jesus has, is faithful, not as a servant as Moses was, but as a son, the one who owned or would inherit the house, which the servant never did. He just served it. Now, why on earth does the writer compare Jesus to Moses? Why does the writer compare Jesus? We would never think of doing that. Well, when you read the letter, there are indications that the readers are going to face persecution. It's coming down the road. Now, these were Jewish Christians, Jews who had met the Lord either uh, physically during his his incarnation or more likely as Paul met him in their daily walk. They decided to follow Jesus. They were believers. They had faith. But persecution was coming. And they were tempted to slip back. Oh, keep believing in Jesus, but slip back into Judaism. Why? Well, because Judaism in the Roman Empire was a, a, a religion which had legal status. And Jews in the Roman Empire had some political protection. They couldn't be compelled, for example, to work on the Sabbath day. The, the Romans found them a pain in the you-know-where, but they put up with them. But Christians didn't have that exemption. And so the, the, the temptation was, well, I'll still believe on Jesus, but I'll, I'll have it within my Judaism, and Jesus will be a prophet And the writer says, hold on. Moses, perhaps the greatest man in the the Old Testament, the one who rescued God's people because he received the calling of God. We thought about that this morning when God revealed himself to him. I am that I am. Even the first one to get God's name, which for the Jews was so holy that they would never pronounce it. We talk about Jehovah or, uh, more recently, Yahweh. The Jews would never take that name upon their lips. Why? Because it was so holy. And when they read it in the text, they didn't say J-H-W-H, the four letters, however we pronounce that. They talked about the Lord. The Lord wouldn't even take his name upon their lips. And Moses was the one who had that name, wonderful name, holy name, revealed to him. He was the one who, in obedience to God and with the power of the Lord, was able to lead the people, rescue them from Egypt, 
across the Red Sea, through the Red Sea, to, into the wilderness, right to the edges of the promised land. He was, well, you could say Abraham was, you could say maybe David was. There's a good, uh, you could have a good argument saying Moses was the greatest in the Old Testament. And the writer says, now, you Jews tempted to go back. Moses had nothing on Jesus. Sometimes we're tempted. Well, unless we're from a Jewish background, I suspect we're not tempted to to go back to Judaism. But we're tempted to bring our Jesus, well, be a bit more quiet about him and make him kind of fit into a, a lifestyle which isn't so overtly Christian trying to make life that wee bit more comfortable for us because where we work, where we're at school, where we study, where we mix, it, it can be difficult. And what does the word say? Come on. Nothing is greater than Jesus, not even Moses. And the stress is on our Lord's Faithfulness. Faithfulness. And then he applies that in verse 6. That we must hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Jesus is faithful and so must we be. Then from 7 to 11, you get this uh, large quotation from Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 is a great psalm. It's a great psalm. It's in two bits. The first bit is full of praise and worship. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving, extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and so on. Come, let us and bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Focusing on God, the only response can be worship and praise from the heart with full volume from the mouth. And then you get the quotation. The quotation which is, uh, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It's a warning. It's a warning. David in Psalm 95 is focusing on the Lord and then giving a warning and intertwining four Old Testament passages. The first one is Psalm 95, which is quoted verbatim, interestingly with the introduction, so the Holy Spirit says, you see at the beginning of, well, uh, sorry, I sound like Damien, who says, do you see it? Great. Do you see it? I'll, I'll copy you, brother. Do you see it? The top of, uh, of seven, where it says, so the Holy Spirit says. This is not, the writer is saying to his readers, this is not just about the past. I know I'm going back a thousand years, but this is for us today. And 2,000 years after him, I'm saying, the Holy Spirit says to us. And what does he say to us? Well, what are the, uh, the, the four scriptures that he quotes? First, the Psalm 95. And uh, in that uh, Psalm, you get the reference to Massa and Meribah. Now, let's have a look at that, just in passing. Uh, do not hard, today if you hear his voice, I'm reading now from Psalm 95. 
You look at the beginning at uh, Hebrews 3 and 7 and 8, and you'll notice a slight difference. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me. Now, those place names mean something. What do they mean? Well, Massa means testing God, and Meribah means quarreling. And you can read of them in Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. And those two occasions were similar. The children of Israel in the desert got thirsty. Well, there wasn't much water in the desert, so that wasn't unusual. They got thirsty and they complained and they quarreled. And so, in uh, verse 10 of Hebrews 3, and I said, this is the Lord, that is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray. And in Numbers 14, uh, which is the fourth uh, passage which is referred to, Uh, They disobeyed and tested me ten times. Now, the the last passage is Numbers 14. And that's another incident from the Old Testament history. When they arrive at the promised land, great! They send out twelve spies and they come back with sore backs because they're carrying uh, bunches of grapes that are so heavy. Wow, what plenty and fruitfulness. Let's go. And 10 of them said, hold on. The grapes may be big, but the inhabitants are bigger. We don't recommend going anymore. And Joshua and Caleb said, nonsense. The grapes are big. The inhabitants are bigger but our God is bigger still. Let's go. And the people said no. And they refused to go. They refused to go. They were faithless. So having talked about the faithfulness of Christ and the faithfulness of uh, Moses, now the writer talks about the faith lessness of God's people in the past. And the lesson is applied in verse 12. See to it, brothers, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. I think it would be better to translate unbelieving as it can be done as faith less heart that turns away from the living God. So there's the warnings about being faithless, not going on. Okay. That brings us to the third F, which is fellowship. Verse 13. See to it, brothers, 12, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But 13, encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Encourage one another daily. Daily is strong. It, it, It really should be translated every single day. If someone is beginning to drift, what are the signs? One of the first signs is they become less regular at public worship, at fellowship with other Christians, 
Now, there may be reasons for that, and they can give reasons, but it's a sign that first things aren't being placed first, and unfortunately, irregular worship increases till it becomes no worship, at least with God's people. Oh, I worship my way, and I can worship on my own. Yes, you can, but there's incredible strength in meeting with the people of God regularly. That's why we expend a fair amount of our energy in this church and other churches do in organizing and sustaining our home groups where we meet regularly in smaller groups. In a big group like this, you, 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 you can't really share uh, what's going on in your life. It would take too long if everybody did. But in a small group, we can. We study together. We share together. We pray together. And we do things together, supporting one another and other people in practical ways. Christian fellowship is fundamental. The corporate aspect of our faith cannot be downplayed. It is so important. In Hebrews, later on, 10.25, you get this more clearly expressed. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. He is writing to some people who don't turn up to the prayer meeting, don't turn up to public worship, don't turn up to fellowship, don't turn up. They are just getting into the habit of not bothering. They're drifting. And my fourth, and I've only got four points, uh, my fourth point is firmness. Verse 14 We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Now, do you remember when you were first converted? And the things you got up to, and boys, oh, were you enthusiastic not very wise, but enthusiastic. And we did this and that. Uh, I won't tell you what I did, but there we are. We did this and that for the Lord. And we've got a bit older. We claim wiser. But I wonder sometimes. We are to hold firmly, says the text, till the end the confidence we had at first. How do you uh, stand up to that test? How do you stand up to that test? And then in these final verses, uh, the writer goes back, you see it in verse 15, to quoting again, a bit from Psalm 95, the bit that deals with today. Today, as has just been said, yeah, I know, we've just heard you saying it, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Referring back again to Numbers 14. What happened when uh, this this? The spies came back. Two of them said, let's go on. Ten of them said, no way. And the people decided not to go forward. Not to go forward. Ignored the spies and refused to obey Moses. Well, we read at the end of that chapter that they changed their mind. Moses said, look, the Lord says was revealed to him, you will never enter my rest. You will not see the promised land because you refuse to go forward. And they thought about that and they said, 
right, we're very sorry, we will go forward into the promised land. Moses said, too late, boys. They said, no, no, we're going into the promised land. Moses said, well, I'm not going with you, but we're going into the promised land. And the ark is not going with you, but we're going into the promised land. And they went into the promised land, and they were hammered. Driven out, and none of them, none of them entered the promised land. Forty more years they wandered, and they died in the wilderness. Why? Because the today didn't become, for them, it became yesterday. Today was a day of opportunity. Now, I don't often uh, uh, preach this way, but the text leads me to preach this way. To ask you a question. Is today your today time of opportunity when under God you must respond? Or are you going to leave it until today the time of opportunity becomes yesterday and it's too late? It's too late. That's not a very um, pleasant biblical uh, doctrine. It's, it's not a very pleasant item of scriptural truth. But it's there. The foolish bridesmaids, how many were there? Were there ten of them? How many were wise? Fifty percent. They were received in. The 50%, the five who weren't, they nipped down the road uh, and got their wine and came back, and the door was shut. What is the Lord saying to us? What is he saying to us tonight? This is a word for all of us. Today is the day of opportunity. So, believer, focus on Jesus. Focus on the blessings which we know he gives. Follow his example of faithfulness. And that means to hold firmly to let go of the things which we shouldn't be handling. Because if you're holding other things, a parcel of this and a bag of that, you can't hold firmly onto him. They have to be let go of. Hold firmly. And don't undervalue the fellowship of God's people the support we receive in prayer. That is so important. Some of you know I'm not very well at the moment. Oh, I'm, I feel uh, amazing, but I have a, a medical condition. But Ruth and I have been buoyed up by the prayers of so many what a wonderful privilege. Wonderful. And to the unbeliever, today is the day of opportunity when we can trust in Jesus. Let go of other unimportant things and lay hold of him as I was preparing this, a song came to mind, and I will resist the temptation to sing it. Some of you will know it. 
when the road is rough and steep. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. He alone has power to keep. Fix your eyes upon him. Jesus is a gracious friend, one on whom you can depend. He is faithful. I, th I don't know who wrote it, but he must have been thinking of Hebrews 3. He is faithful to the end. Fix your eyes upon him. Let's pray. Lord, we have to confess that we're inclined to drift. We thank you that you are the anchor of your people and you have restrained us and protected us Help us to be found faithful in the fellowship of your people with a firm grape upon you, your word, and one another. Help us to reach out, enjoy your embrace, and follow you from this time forth. In your precious name, amen. Neil and Gillian are going to lead us in our prayers for others. Um, first of all, this evening, I'm going to lead us in prayer um, for concerns around our world. And Gillian's going to bring things closer to home, to our fellowship and uh, the, the surrounding area. Given the vastness of what we could consider, um, it's helpful to remember that really we are just instruments of God, instruments of his grace uh, to this world, um, and that our God will act. If we think about this morning, and Damien was saying about how God said, I will rescue these people. I will take my people from Egypt. Then he turned and said, I'm going to use you to do it. And he, he chose Moses and he said, I want you to do this. And that's something for us to consider. Carl gave me very wise words when we were thinking about this. Um, he said that less is more. Um, it's not possible. And I think he was just telling me to keep it brief. But uh, it's not possible for us to you know, name every single situation. But what we are trying to do is cultivate an attitude of prayer amongst God's people, that as we hear things in the news, we hear things in TV, um, that we pause and we pray, or hear things in conversation each day, that we pause and pray. Um, so this, some of the things we mentioned may prompt some of you, some may prompt others, but hopefully the Spirit will put things in your heart for you to take on and pray continually about. So let us pray. Father, it's so wonderful um, to dwell in your presence, uh, to spend an hour in worship, listening to your word, and to pray. We thank you that you have given us prayer and that you have chosen to use us um, through prayer, that you want to act and you want to use prayer from us uh, to make your will come true. As we think of your world, we think about the political upheaval, so many areas um, close to ourselves. We've got Eastern Europe and Russia. Um, we have such conflict in America over a, uh, a presidential election and what is supposed to be the human superpower. We have Brexit on our doorstep. I'm not sure what exactly that's going to mean. Help us, Father, as we pray, to remember those in leadership in our own country and elsewhere, and to remember that you give authority to governments and that you can take it away again. Help us to trust as we pray and know that you will make your will come true, that you will have your way. Father, think about migrants and refugees throughout the world. Again, so much that we can think of, but especially in Europe, we're seeing uh, such an overwhelming swell of migrants uh, coming further north. 
Father, we pray for the emotions that that generates in people. We pray that people would, would not be hostile, but that we would remember that you've called us to look after the widow, the orphaned, those in need, those who are poor, and that you would give us wisdom in our words and our actions when we speak to others about how we should deal with this. We think about wars and conflict and terrorism. Just today, um, a bomb going off in New York, um, an attack in, in India. Um, there's conflict in virtually every country we think of in Africa. More um, conflict over the weekend in Central Africa. Terrorism in France, Belgium, Germany. Father, it's so clear that we cannot find security. Um, we cannot trust in man's might. We can't trust in superpowers or our own government and military. We pray that you would grant wisdom to our leaders um, where it's possible that they might avoid war and where they need to intervene that they would act swiftly. But above all, Father, we trust that you are in control of these situations and it is to you that we look for our security. In all these areas, help us to uphold those who are suffering, um, to ask what we can do to show your love and your grace and never to lose hope because we know that we trust in the one true ruler and king. Father, we bring our church family before you now. We pray for all who are battling with illness, facing challenging treatment. We pray for their families and the medical staff. We praise you that you are enveloping them in your love. We pray for those who are looking after sick or elderly parents or other members of the family, trying to balance helping and caring with duties in church, at home or in work. We praise and thank you for babies born safely and pray for your care for expectant mothers. We remember those struggling with difficult situations in their community or in their work. For them, we ask your wisdom and patience. We pray for students and others working away from home and for the families who miss them. Lord, please help the channels of communication stay wide open. For students at home and those settling into new circumstances, Father, may your love surround and support them. We are all juggling responsibilities in our lives and can sometimes feel overwhelmed. Lord, we ask you to help us to get the balance right so that we may glorify you and shine for you. Amen. And as those who are washed, let us commit one another to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.